Loving God, may these words that I speak and the ways that we reflect help to transform us into the likeness of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we don't know absolutely and for sure, but it's a good chance that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter that we know as Ephesians and that he was writing it from prison in Rome towards the end of his life. We do know for sure, though, that it deals with two very closely connected themes, two ideas that are central to the whole letter. The first is that God's means of bringing reconciliation and achieving peace is Jesus Christ. And then the second is that the church is the means by which Jesus Christ brings reconciliation in the world. Our reading today includes language and ideas that that may be a little difficult to grasp. So let's read just a few pieces again using an Australian paraphrase. This comes from Laughing Bird uh, Liturgical Resources. Remember where you came from or you'll begin to take what God has done for granted. Don't ever forget that you were once outsiders and treated as such by those who had always been insiders. Back then, you had no no contact with Christ and you were foreigners to God's people, Israel. You knew nothing of the rich heritage of promises and mutual responsibility that shaped Israel's relationship with God. You knew nothing of them and you had no access to their benefits. In the world, but alienated from God, your situation was hopeless. No matter how far away you were, through his own blood, sweat and tears, Christ has brought you right into the centre of things. Perhaps you could think of it this way. God is constructing a wonderful temple using every kind of material that comes to hand, regardless of its origins. The foundations are the apostles and prophets and all they did and said. Now all of us are being added one at a time with Christ Jesus himself as the central pillar that holds the whole structure together. With every part inseparably linked to him, the whole structure grows day by day into a holy temple dedicated to the Lord. So there you are, united in Christ, we become a place where God's spirit is pleased to dwell. So I think naturally out of that emerges a really important question for us. Is our church united in Christ and a place where God's spirit is proud to live? Is that who we are? And how would we know? Well, in chapter one, Paul writes, having heard of your faith, that is your deep trust in the Lord Jesus and your active love for God's people, I give thanks for you and remember you in my prayers. So faith in the Lord Jesus and love for God's people is a marker that reveals how Paul knew 
that this community was united in Christ and that God's spirit was alive amongst them. So then the next question is, who are God's people? Well, whether you're here in the building or perhaps at home with others, look around or have a think about who it is that you do life with. God's people are the motley crew who respond to God's invitation to love God and their neighbour. God's people show love for God and neighbour in as many different ways as there are people. God's people form the household of God, the church, where Christ is the central pillar. God's people are called to engage with the world, the same world that God loved so much that Jesus entered into human life, ultimately giving everything. His body, his life's blood, his very being, so that we could be reconciled to God and to one another and to know peace. Peace is the evidence of love at work. The cross embodies God's strong love, love that is stronger than everything, including death and including the seemingly insurmountable divisions that arise between people and in, within communities. God's love makes reconciliation and peace possible. It's like on the cross, Jesus removes the fences that divide us. We experience this gift of God's grace as something that transcends us. We can't understand it or explain it rationally. It breaks in on our lives day by day in mysterious ways. And yet we know that it's real. There's a story from World War II. In France, some soldiers brought the body of their fallen mate to a French cemetery to bury him. The priest gently told them that it was a Roman Catholic cemetery and he was duty-bound to ask whether their friend had been baptised as a Catholic. The friends didn't know. The priest was very sorry, but he told them they couldn't bury their friend in the churchyard. So they buried him just outside the cemetery fence. The next day, the friends came back to make sure the grave was okay before they moved on but they couldn't find it. Confused, they were looking around when the priest arrived. He'd been unable to sleep. He was so troubled in his heart that he'd come back early in the morning and moved the fence so that it encompassed the new grave. This is what love can do. Rules and regulations put up a fence sometimes to keep us safe, but more often than not, to divide us. Love moved the fence. Today's reading reveals that the community to whom the letter is written had worked through a crisis of division to achieve unity. This crisis of profound division had to do with the labels applied by those who called themselves God's people to those who were considered not to be. In our reading, we heard that Gentiles were called the uncircumcision by Jews who were known as the circumcision. The Australian paraphrase used the words outsiders, 
and insiders. However, we know that Jews weren't the only ones to use divisive language in the ancient world. Cicero and others wrote, as the Greeks say, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians. And we know that it didn't stop there. We know it's not only an ancient problem, it's an entirely current one as well. It seems that it's an innate human tendency to want to label others in ways that don't simply identify who we are, but put fences up between us. So I wonder, what is the language that we use to label people outside our circle, whether it's in the church or whether it's beyond? And how did, might these labels sometimes create division? How might we change our language so that it genuinely embraces, the diversity, embraces our diversity and actively works towards unity. Remember that unity doesn't mean becoming homogenous. It's not saying that we all become the same. It's saying that we're united by the Holy Spirit, but we are not all the same. We all have particular gifts and attributes and personalities and experiences that help to shape us into a unique person with immense gifts to offer the rest of us. Unity means figuring out how the motley crew can be the household of God, united in Christ and reflecting life in God's spirit. There's a choice that the members of the motley crew need to make. And I'm not talking about a band, Stuart. The motley crew needs to see beyond their differences and to encounter the humanity of the other, the one for whom Christ also died, to approach them with dignity and respect. How many times have you had a particular perception of a person who comes with a from a particular background or is known in a particular way and you've labelled them? I know I have. And then they become your neighbour or they join your family or they become part of your friendship group or they're a colleague and you find yourself working alongside them and all of a sudden things change. Encounter with another person involves two parts. The first is the encounter. We meet someone, we're speaking with them, we might be talking to them on the phone or FaceTime, we might, um, th there's an encounter. But the second part is where we interpret the encounter. So this is where our previous experiences, our preformed judgments, our biases and our preferences all hop into gear and they shape our interpretation of the encounter. That's often a good time to take a breath and to step back and just to check in with ourselves. How is my thinking shaping the relationship that I'm forming with this person? The background of the labels, uncircumcision and circumcision, lie in the legal and religious practices of the people of Israel. Jews were God's holy people, governed by God. In the Commonwealth of Israel, circumcision was part of, of law-keeping and their identification as God's people. It was part of their covenantal relationship with God. 
And this divine citizenship and covenantal relationship with God was only available to Jewish people. Gentiles were non-Jewish people called the uncircumcision by Jewish people, the outsiders. And this, in the letter that we read today, includes Jewish people who were becoming Christians in the early church. Gentiles were considered aliens and strangers to God's covenant and therefore without hope. They didn't understand that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, was coming. The implications of this legalism were enormous for Jewish people. For example, you could be considered unclean for visiting a Gentile home. Or if a Jewish boy or girl wanted to marry a Gentile girl or boy, a funeral would be held for the Jewish boy or girl. It's been said that while there's plenty of room for all the people in the world, there's no room for the fences that divide them. Legalism as a principle of religion was abolished by Christ on the cross and in his life and in his ministry, and it was replaced with love for God and love for neighbour. When Christ brought down the fence dividing Jew and Gentile, the Gentile was said to have been brought near. We encounter this phrase several times in today's reading and it describes this new unity. But it's not a random term, this being brought near. When a Jewish rabbi spoke of a convert to Judaism, he described the person as having been brought near. In Isaiah 57, we read... I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will lead them and repay them with comfort. Peace, peace to the far and the near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Verse 14 in chapter 2 has another significant image that describes this fence-eliminating project. It says, Christ is our peace. He has made both groups into one and broken down the dividing wall, the hostility between us. The physical representation of the division between Gentile and Jew was, of course, the court structure of the temple. The temple was central to Jewish life and worship. And if you're not familiar with the temple structure, picture an outer wall. As a Gentile, you couldn't pass beyond that. But inside that was a courtyard where women could gather, Inside that, the men and then the priests, they would arrive at the altar in front of the Holy of Holies where God's presence was believed to dwell. The penalty for a Gentile to proceed beyond the outer wall was death. So this wall certainly represented an impassable barrier to the presence of God. As a missionary, Paul delivered this message of reconciliation to Gentiles. What an enormous message that was. And as a pastor, Paul then shaped the way that diverse Christian communities could indeed live together. In Galatians 5, we find these words from Paul. In Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith, Baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. All of you are one in Christ Jesus. 
In Acts 21, which um, tells us some of the story of the early church, we discover one of the reasons, well, an important reason for Paul's arrest and imprisonment. I mentioned Paul's imprisonment at the beginning. You see, Jews had seen Paul in the temple and had stirred up the whole crowd, shouting, fellow Israelites, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against our people, against our law, and against this place, the temple. More than that, he has actually brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. In Christ, the pain of being arrested, misunderstood, betrayed, taken for granted, overlooked, sidelined, spat on, tortured, ridiculed, discriminated against on the basis of ethnicity, among other things. All of this is taken up on our behalf, on the cross. The cross can bring peace since Christ's love bears all things and offers hope in place of despair. The church, this motley crew that is the household of God, is to be the living expression of peace that overcomes hostility of divisions. How can we pray for peace in the world when as the church we don't make making peace and being of one mind even if we have differences of opinions? Think about the labels that you, you might have thought of earlier. I think back over to my time growing up and then my life as an adult in the church. Goodness me, I've encountered lots of labels, as many as you will have. I think of labels like saved, unsaved, spirit-filled, backsliding, liberal, progressive, evangelical, post-evangelical, post-church. It's all okay if we use these descriptions to kind of say what we mean, but so often we use them to build fences to do in divisions. And then more widely in the community, think about the terms that are used to label people's gender, their sexuality, their ethnicity, their age, their socioeconomic level, their education, their relationship status, their social media following. Labels that can be helpful but they can also be divisive when they're not used with the right intent, when they are used to divide rather than to bring unity. So how can we cultivate and celebrate the art of being a motley crew reconciled in Christ? The division between Jew and Gentile seemed impassable. It seemed insurmountable, and yet in Christ, Jews and Gentiles were united as the household of God where God's spirit is proud to live. This miracle of unity was achieved through Jesus Christ who is our peace so that we can become the means of peace and reconciliation in our world. While reconciliation is rarely an easy path, it is the only path that leads to a place where the life of the spirit has free reign and since God's grace pervades every part of our lives, just as the air we breathe, we know that it's possible. So I wonder, as we move into the weeks ahead, 
how might we consider is our church united in Christ and a place where God's spirit is proud to live and how will we live as a motley crew as the motley crew that we are reconciled in Christ amen